right, folks, welcome back to the Coachful Coaching Leadership Podcast. And today I have Chris Kemp with me. Chris, how's it going? Fantastic. Thank you very much for having me, David. I'm a big fan of the show. Yes. Long-time listener, first-time guest. You got it. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Chris. Well, uh, look, folks, I, I, I invited Chris here today. I, I do want him to introduce himself, but he is, I consider him, uh, imagine sitting in an office beside uh, uh, Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, and uh, Einstein combined. Yeah, that's sort of like Chris. And you'll, you'll find out what I mean in, in a few minutes. But he's both a thought leader and as well as a people leader. And he, so he brings a very unique perspective here. And when I say thought leader, I mean uh, Chris used to manage the SEAL Team 6 or the special operations of technology teams uh, at uh, the company we worked at. And so we're going to dive into that today. But Chris, um, maybe to get started, I, I, I am very curious. When I look at your biography in LinkedIn, it says innovator, inventor, investor, author, and I, I, I think you're missing multiple patent holder. So I'm curious, how are <laughs> yeah. you all of those things? Maybe just give everyone a, the download. How are you all those things? How are you a leader in, in many of those things? Yeah, absolutely. Love, love to answer your question. Uh, so yeah, so innovator, let's start out with that. Uh, first of all, I'm a big, uh, a big proponent of innovation, uh, very passionate about it. Uh, earlier on in my career, but, you know, before uh, I went to Salesforce, I was working at a, at a startup and I, I actually found out about Salesforce. And uh, this was in the in early Salesforce days. And, uh, and I was like, somebody said to me, hey, you got to check out the Salesforce thing. And I'm like, oh, okay, CRM, it sounds just super boring. So but he's like, no, 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 trust me. You can, it's, it's more than that. It's a platform. I'm like, oh, okay, everybody says they're a platform. Uh, so I went and I, I checked it out. And uh, at that time, this company I was working for uh, made incentive programs. So uh, I looked at Salesforce and I'm like, hey, like salespeople need incentives. So uh, I went and created this app. And basically what you could do is in Salesforce, you could go and uh, create these uh, goals for, let's say, salespeople. So, you know, I want you to make 20 calls per day or I want you to uh, convert 10 leads a week, something like that. And then they can get points in, you know, the for the program that uh, for the company I worked for. And then, uh, and then you can go and redeem those points. Uh, so, you know, it's just things like that throughout my career where, you know, I make those connections and, uh, and create this app. And by the way, that helped us actually get uh, Series B2 funding. Uh, so, you know, I, I pitched to the invest that to inv our investors and uh, helped get Series B2 funding. So, uh, you know, just stuff like that throughout my career, just, uh, you know, innovating and, you know, creating these new things and seeing these patterns and doing that. Um, Inventor, you know, like you said, got seven patents awarded. Uh, so I'm a big fan of, uh, of that. Uh, so it kind of goes hand in hand with the innovator. Uh, as far as investor goes, I'm, a, I'm an avid uh, fan of uh, personal investment and, and a finance enthusiast. Uh, yeah, I'm fun at parties. Uh, and uh, an author, uh, I've actually written a book uh, called, uh, yeah, I know, uh, called Professional Heroku Programming. So uh, yeah, I'm an author as well. <clears throat> Professional Heroku Programming. I, I, I'm going to read that tonight put myself to bed. So yeah, absolutely. Actually, it's, it's, it will put you to bed for sure. That's, that yeah. is the one thing I will guarantee you. Of. Yeah. I, I think you still use a, as a pillow. You, you have it on you right now, don't you? I do. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Right for you. Exactly. It's, it's thick yeah, enough to be go. and, you know, and being a, you know, almost, I think, yeah, it's, it's just, just turned 10 years old being a 10 year old tech book. It's, 
uh, more useful as a pillow than actually as a reference. <laughs> yeah, hold hold it up there. We're we're going to use that as the thumbnail for this uh for this podcast right there. There you go. Professional Heroku program by Chris Kemp. There you go. Okay, folks, get that book right now. New York Times bestseller right there. <clears throat> All right. Uh, so I am I am curious about a few things. Um, you know, before uh, I sent you some questions ahead of time. And I, I am curious, I, I asked you, what have you changed your mind on lately? And what have you doubled down on? And uh, talk a little bit about what you've changed your mind on recently. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so when I started out my career, I think one of the things that, uh, that I sort of thought a career would be like is, is like climbing a mountain that, uh, you know, it's, it's a hike to the top. And, you know, the top, because I was a technical person, the top was like being a, a CTO or a CIO or something like that. Uh, and, you know, you just keep working your way up, you know, you get the next title and, you know, eventually you're there. And in fact, a lot of the times, you know, when you're talking to folks, uh, managers and things like that, that's always the focus, right? Uh, is, you know, how do you get to that next level? And, you know, how to pre prepare yourself. And a lot of them say, you know, you got to think about your end game in mind. So, you know, if you want to be a CTO or, or CIO, there's very different path and you got to learn business or tech or, you know, a bit of both. Uh, but as I went, uh, I went along, I started to realize that, um, you know, for, for me, it's, uh, I, it's a little bit different. For me, I, I now view it as more of a, a, like a role-playing game. So, you know, what I like to do is now, you know, having left the corporate world and now doing freelance work, uh, I view it more as doing, you know, random quests. Uh, that really suit whatever attributes you have and, uh, you know, continue to level up and learn new things and uh, do exciting things. Uh, and of course, you know, occasionally fight monsters and, and you know, and make some magic happen. Uh, and, uh, and that's, that's just how I, and maybe enjoy my career a lot more, not having that sort of linear sort of path, because, you know, as I went through my career, it was definitely not anything but linear. <clears throat> you know, you, you, br you bring up a really interesting perspective and it's, it's probably how we're all taught. Um, since we're young is, you know, you, you go into kindergarten, you, then you go to grade one, grade two, grade three, grade four. <clears throat> and, and we think that applies to life. And we feel that we're conditioned to think that applies to our careers, really anything else, but it's farthest from the truth, right? Like what you're saying. So yeah. I'm curious, then you say you, you might be slaying some dragons once in a while in your freelance time right now. So you, you spent a lot of time in the corporate world. Now you're freelance. What, what dragons are you slaying right now? <laughs> well, a little bit of everything. Um, you know, some are some are bigger, um, bigger dragons that are more difficult to to fight. Some are smaller ones. You gotta you know, choose your battles. Uh, so yeah, so some of it's just basically stuff uh, from my Salesforce days. So like, hey, we have a an old Salesforce org, and you know, we want to figure out how we can you know up level this and get the most out of what we've got, and maybe revamp it. Uh, some of it's you know, hey, I got need to look at you know bigger picture, my overall enterprise architecture. Uh, you know, not just Salesforce, but what do I have and, you know, where we can we remove systems and uh, save money and consolidate and that sort of thing. Uh, so, mm -hmm. you know, those are always fun ones because you can save a few bucks and, and justify your existence through that. Uh, but then you get the, uh, the really cool ones and uh, the, the golden dragons, if you will. So, uh, you know, I helped a company uh, design a, a blockchain solution for healthcare, which was, which is pretty neat. And uh, also helped a, a company, a startup in, in AI. Uh, help build a go-to-market plan because, uh, you know, at Salesforce through that, uh, the emerging technologies team, uh, we're selling a lot of AI solutions. So learned quite a bit from that, from the go-to-market and, uh, and wanted to help them. So a uh, little bit of everything. Okay. I do want to come back to your, your perspectives on uh, some of these cutting edge technologies. Um, it is, it is a, a place where I've always uh, 
tapped your shoulders, Chris, right? Like cutting edge technologies like uh, generative AI, blockchain, and and you know the the beauty of uh, yourself is that you make it really relatable to the regular human being like myself, right? So I want to get back to that, but I, I do want to talk about um, you know your your corporate career, you know um, when we were at the same company, and you know I started off this podcast saying that you know you manage the SEAL Team Six of uh, of technologists, and you know, for for the folks out there who are not familiar with that uh, metaphor, basically, you know, there's technology teams, and then there's the special special technology teams, and Chris was managing some of the most special, and when I say special, we're talking about imagine putting Leonardo da Vinci, Einstein, and Stephen Hawking all in one team. That's the team he managed, and so, and I, I and I think Chris. Uh, that probably created some interesting situations, people situations as well for you, right? But maybe just talk a little bit about that, like um, you know, just the the type of team you managed, what you guys were out there to do, and you know, just give give the folks out there some uh, overview of that. Sure thing. And by the way, when you're talking about like Leonardo and Michelangelo, I was thinking like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I'm like, oh man, that makes me sound super cool, like way cooler than I am. But uh, <laughs> it, 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 go with like artists as well and not so all right cool uh yeah so the team was uh was was pretty varied there was uh, uh so funny enough you would think a team like that where you're working on working on emerging technologies it's just you know like propeller head technical folks right uh and we did have some very very technical folks of course you, you'd sort of need to because with new technologies it's uh you know it's very hands-on people haven't built this you know really cool ui that you can interact with it it's you know you're interacting with the you know bare pipes right and doing the plumbing uh so uh, we had a lot of folks that were, were very technical, but more interestingly, we had folks on the team that actually weren't very technical. Uh, and funny enough, uh, they both did really well on the team because the not very technical people, even though they, you know, they could get into a little bit into the weeds, uh, they were very good at the go-to-market. So the all the things around it. So, uh, you know, how do I get my initial customers? How do I figure out what my key use cases are so we can double down on those and uh, and use those with marketing uh, this new solution. Uh, things like that, and that are really important for new technologies. Uh, I would suggest even more important than the technology itself, uh, because you know you can, as I always told the team, it's you know this is not uh, you're not Kevin Costner. This is you know it's not you. If you build it, they will come. Uh, we've got to give people a compelling reason for this. You know, aside from a science project and, and deliver real business value, as opposed to just like hey, let's tinker and and you know make something cool. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. Talk about this, like talk about the dynamics of that team. And you know, you and I had some side conversations. I remember in the office, like, okay, you know, you have such high performers and high performers of the high performers. Things are, things will clash at times. So talk about just how you manage some of those dynamics, some interesting situations that you might've had. Yeah, absolutely. So it's uh, with, with high performers, you're, you know, you're inevitably going to get that. Uh, the, the folks that I had on my team were, were very intelligent and, of course, very opinionated. Uh, and that's why I liked having my team because, you know, with something like a new technology, you have to have strong opinions. You can't say, yeah, it's okay. It's like, you know, you have to say, no, this is what it's for, this is what you need to use it for. You know, I think this is where it's going to go and double down on that. Uh, so inevitably that led to clashes. Uh, so people believed so one thing that people think should be done one way. Uh, others thought we should be another way. And so, you know, that'll happen. Uh, so, you know, just like any leadership, you, you've got to be able to manage that and you've got to be able to uh, first off manage the personalities and make sure everybody gets along. And, and at the end of the day, 
separates that, you know, the clashes that you have and the uh, and those those discussions from uh, the you know the team. And so, you know, I always said like, hey, we're going to be probably at these meetings where we're discussing our go-to-market and things like that. We're going to be yelling at each other, and that's okay. Uh, but you know what? Uh, we're going to go out afterwards, and we're going to have dinner, and everybody's going to be happy in school, and we just put that aside uh, because you know that you can have that healthy conversation and that healthy conflict. Uh, I don't think having conflict can, uh, you know, in you know, of course you can have bad conflict, but uh, it doesn't have to be a bad thing if done correctly. So I, I am curious how do you, how do you do that correctly? Like it's, I find it's easy for myself even to say, hey, you know, like conflict is good. Let's disagree. Let's uh, um, let's let's all you know challenge each other's ideas. But as you say, when you have very opinionated people, there's there's some folks who might uh, grind on other people's gears. Some are more abrasive than others. So I guess like, you know, when you're managing those type of dynamics, very opinionated individuals, they some are technical, some are not. How do you create those ground rules that conflict is OK, but you got to stay respectful? Like, uh, can you talk about that? Yeah, that's exactly it. You have, you have to set reasonable boundaries for that. Um, so, you know, the one thing, the one obvious thing is, you know, don't make it personal. And we did have situations where, you know, we'd get into these conversations, things would get heated uh, and something personal would be said. And it's like, whoa, okay, we, well, you know, now we've got to stop, you know, back things up and then, you know, resolve that conflict because you, know, you, you can't have that. Uh, but, you know, in the heat of the situation that happens, you know, you got to make sure that, that person apologizes. That it's you know that they that they uh, that they actually mean it. It's not just like yeah, yeah, sorry. Uh, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's that they actually mean it, uh, and that that gets resolved uh, appropriately. Uh, because you're right; otherwise, it's going to fester and and get nasty. So yeah, you you definitely got to do that, especially in a high performing team where um, you know you want to have everybody performing at that level and not having something like that drag it down. Hmm. Dragging it down. Is there is there a particular situ- coaching moment you've had with someone that you you'd like to share? Huh. Um, yeah, it's, it's it was actually what I was referring to before. It was it was exactly that that you know the two folks on my team they uh, they got into that that conflict and uh, and personal things were said and and by the way this is uh, David I think this is actually uh, I came to you as as a mentor uh, and and brought this towards you and. Uh, mm. You know, one of the things that uh, that you said, and you know, has, has resonated with me all throughout, was uh, you know, for, and something that you know, as a as a new manager, uh, often people do, and it's like you, what you have to do is not resolve this issue for them, because then what's going to happen is every time there's this conflict, instead of them resolving it between themselves, they're going to go to you, uh, and and I think that's a good lesson for for all new managers is you can't solve all your people's problems on your team all the time. It's very tempting as a manager. Uh, you know, you're probably going to be like, oh, this is great. I finally have a problem to solve. And, you know, you may have been an individual contributor and you don't feel quite as useful, you know, if you will, you know, like you did as an individual contributor solving problems. So, you know, it seems like a great problem that you can go and solve, but, uh, but you've, you've got to manage that resolution, uh, but not have to have it go through you. Uh, so again, you know, talking to the person, okay, well, why did you say that? You know, how do you think that made them feel? Uh, you know, and then what do you think you should do to help resolve it uh, and help them work through how they're going to resolve it instead of resolving it for them. Uh, and I think that's a big, uh, for me, that that really helped me through that situation. So again, thank you for that. Uh, and and really helped me uh, manage those personalities. Yeah, it's, you know, we're, we're all human beings. 
ego, ego, ego. It's uh, it's the source of uh, a lot of conflicts, small as well as big. I mean, um, you you see it on a basketball court. You also see it in you know wars in the world, and a lot of it is because of ego. And um, but we see it as 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 managers on a smaller scale. What happens when um, you know we let egos go out of control? And and as you said there, uh, helping folks. Just stop for a second. Empathy. What do you think the other person was thinking? Why do you think they said that? How do you, you know, how do we come back around and influence them versus aggravate them? And that's, that's like one of the, one of the strategies that I found like, oh my gosh, um, it works most of the time, right? Um, now it is, it is something that folks need to do when they're not emotional themselves, right? When they're level headed, but just, helping them understand like what what was the other person thinking don't make it about you right and you know but i i could imagine for you uh, a lot of clashy egos there so just speaking of uh clash of egos you know knowing that you were stepping into something like this what what made you feel like you were ready to handle these type of situations in leadership what made you feel that you were ready for leadership for leadership well, it's it's interesting you ask that because I actually never really wanted to be a manager. Uh, I, I really fell into it, and and you may you may remember this from my early days. Um, but but yeah, I wanted to be an individual contributor forever. I was I was never really interested. In it. And uh, but you know, eventually I got really good at you know doing my individual contributor job. Uh, you know, I was happy being a you know an enterprise architect, and you know telling people what to do and all that sort of stuff. And it makes you you know just go home at the end of the day and feel important. Uh, but you know, then it's, you, you just kind of get on autopilot cause you see the same problems all the time, that sort of thing. And, you know, I found just that I wasn't learning as much as I, I would like to. And, uh, so of course, as I was doing this, I started mentoring and, you know, eventually I found out that I found that I was enjoying that more than my, uh, you know, quote unquote day job. Uh, so, you know, I, the problem was that there weren't any jobs out there that were really, you know, jumping to me. So just being an operational manager, um, you know, managing people like me just wasn't all that interesting. Uh, and, but then what happened was, uh, came along, uh, that there was this new emerging technology team that was going to be created. And so of course the, uh, first person they asked, uh, Hey, do you, you know, my, my boss at the time, Mike said, Hey, you know, Chris, I know you've said that you're not interested in the least bit being a manager, but there's a management job coming up. Uh, just wanted to check if you're interested in it. And I'm like, you know what, Mike, that might be something I'm interested in. And it didn't take me very long to figure out that I wanted to do it. And, uh, really the reason it's not a great reason. Uh, was because if I saw anybody else doing that and running that team, it would just drive me nuts. It'd be like, oh, no, that's not the way they should do it. They, this is the way they should do it. And uh, so, um, as I say, it's, I, I sort of fell into it. Uh, but, you know, really, when I look back at my career, it's everything I was doing in my career led me up to that. Uh, being very technical helped me, you know, run a very technical team, uh, working on things like emerging technologies, doing all that mentorship, uh, including, by the way, mentoring you when you first started, David. So it was really Really cool to yeah. see that sort of full circle in the That's career great. when you know, I became a mentor and then I get, you were mentoring me. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, it, was, uh, it really led itself all to that. And it was like, yeah, this is, my career has led me perfectly to this. And, you know, this is for me. So absolutely, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty fun, uh, pretty fun gig. Well, I think this goes back to what you said right at the beginning. What did you change your mind on? Like, life isn't linear. Your career isn't linear. Sometimes you, the best laid plans 
you wanted to be an individual contributor all your life and you fell into this, right? But yeah, here's the one thing I, I don't believe. I don't, you know, I, I know the manager you're talking about, highly respected individual. He probably saw something in you, Chris. Render a guess right now. What do you think he saw in you? What leadership qualities do you think he saw? Well, here, here's the thing is that he was, he was always leading me up to it because um, he basically had me, so we had this, this thing called the, um, we'll now call the Distinguished Architect Program. Um, and, you know, I was the first person to, to go through that and it's this panel process and things like that. Um, and then basically, you know, we wanted to make it better. So he had me um, working with him on doing that. And then he had me basically sort of acting as, a, we'll call it a second manager to all these people who are distinguished architects. Uh, to help them, you know, do what distinguished architects do, do kind of go above and beyond that, just the regular sort of architect uh, job. Um, so it's funny because it's like he was grooming for me that entire time um, to to help me develop that leadership and to help me develop, uh, you know, those skills to be able to influence people. Um, even though those people weren't even on my team, they weren't reporting to me. I was just a, an individual contributor. Uh, but, you know, I'd have regular meetings with them and I'd have one-on-ones with them and things like that. So it was funny stepping into the manager job was was very easy so it's it it's funny that he saw that in me and was like yeah he'll eventually come to it he'll he'll realize that you know and because you know again he saw those leadership qualities in me and you know he'd helped develop them yeah <clears throat> i find the best the best uh, uh leaders i i've worked with you know you know the ones i would say i attribute my uh where i am uh to them is it's it's almost a if we're going to take a 80s reference of the karate kid mr miyagi teaching you know daniel <laughs> daniel san and you know paint the fence just paint the fence and you're just doing this thing you don't know you think yes. it's something else <laughs> right you think you're painting a fence but weeks later you didn't realize he was actually teaching you a martial art and the same thing you know it's like hey just come help me with this help manage these folks for a little bit i need some help little did you know he was grooming you for the job, right? And you were you were probably learning a lot of skills along the way. And those are the best managers. They they know you would probably I I'm guessing he would know you he he knew that you would resist if you said, I want you to be a manager and this is what it's for. You probably like oh, maneuvered yeah. around you and <laughs> say, I just need some help here. So Yep. Well excellent. Um I am curious, uh, you know, just in your leadership journey and just with the uniqueness of the team that you did manage, I, I am curious, like, and it, maybe not even just your leadership career, just think about your career in general. What would you say are like the, the moments of failure that stick out, but also what, what did you do about it? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so for me, the, the biggest moment of failure was also a, just, just sort of a low point in my career, just, you know, for a personal reason. And uh, that was, you know, when I was leading the emerging technologies team, uh, my boss, uh, Paul, uh, passed away. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, so that was really tough because, you know, Paul was not only a manager to me, but, uh, you know, we had a, a great personal relationship. Uh, he, was, uh, uh, he was British and uh, was big into fighting at the same sports that I was. So uh, we, were, we talked a lot about soccer. We talked a lot about Formula One. Um, you know, we just connect on a personal level. In fact, when I was in San Francisco once, he invited me to go see his family and meet his family and then go to a soccer game afterwards. So it's, you know, it was, it was more than, you know, your standard sort of manager relationship where you do your mm -hmm. one-on-ones and, you know, kind of do your thing. Uh, so when he passed, passed away, it was, it was really tough on me, uh, you know, both professionally and, and personally. 
but, you know, one of the things that he always said to me was, you know, you need to do more networking, uh, especially outside your organization. Uh, and, you know, but for me, I was, I was very busy. I was very like in the weeds, you know, as, as every manager is, uh, you know, focusing on what they're doing day to day. And, uh, and funny enough, I, I really relied on him because, you know, Paul had been, he had, you know, he's a senior VP. He knew half the people in the company already from his days there and previously at Oracle, who we worked with a lot of those people there as well. Uh, so he, he knew a lot of folks, knew them well, and, and I really relied on his network a lot. Uh, and so I didn't build that myself. And uh, so, you know, when Paul was gone, it was like, oh, crap. Um, yeah, I, just, I don't really have that. And I really should listen to him and, <laughs> and done that a bit better. So, uh, you know, as, as, as it happens, as happens all the time with, with big organizations, uh, you know, there was a reorg and things got split up. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where it just got a little more difficult to manage a team like mine, where, um, you know, we have multiple teams in multiple different orgs and managing and with different managers and then, but, you know, aligning to me and the emerging technologies team and what we do. Uh, so it got really difficult to manage that, uh, especially from a political perspective, uh, especially because I didn't have those political connections and, uh, you know, hadn't had done that networking that Paula told me to do. Uh, so yet, yeah, unfortunately at that point, uh, you know, I said, okay, well, uh, you know, as this sort of splits up, I'm going to let each of these sort of orgs go do their own thing you know, train the managers to go manage this spot on their own and uh, and then decided that was, you know, that was my time at Salesforce. I'd, I'd been there 11 years, so it was, you know, a good time to move on. Uh, but uh, really, you know, that, that was a lesson to me that you've really, you've always got to be networking. You've always got to be, um, you know, going outside of your comfort zone uh, to do these things that you're, you may not be the most comfortable doing because, you know, some, at some point it's going to matter. Okay. Well, yeah, networking. He sat, Paul sounded like, a, and I, I remember him. I didn't know him very well, right? Um, but uh, I do remember reaching out to some folks that week when I heard that he passed away. And uh, it's funny, someone, someone else in the same circle, similar circles were passed away that same week when I heard about that. It was a, it was a rough week just, uh, you know, overall. Uh, but he, he sounds like a very influential coach for you. Um, I guess, you know, when you think about um, the influential coaches you've had and mentors in your, in your career, what did they teach you? Yeah. So first off, I, you know, I want to say that I've been blessed with a lot of, a lot of great coaches and mentors. Uh, you know, in fact, you and you and I share, you know, share one that's, uh, that's helped us both a lot. Uh, yeah. And, uh, but, you know, it's, I think that one of the things that, that I've learned from a lot of them is, so first off, you, you learn something from all of them. And the funny thing is I've also had uh, bad managers and, you know, everybody's had bad managers. Uh, and funny enough, you think, oh, well, I, I can't learn anything from them. They're a bad manager. No, funny enough, you learn more from the bad managers than you do from the good ones about <laughs> what not to do in leadership. Um, so, uh, but definitely, uh, you know, Paul was, was uh, one of the most influential ones. Uh, and what I really enjoyed that, you know, a, a philosophy that he had, that I really enjoyed was that um, your job title doesn't dictate your importance or responsibility because, mm. um, you know, a lot of people and a lot of mentors that I've had, they're, they're very focused on their title and, you know, I'm director. How do I get to senior director? And, you know, I just kind of have to tell them like, Hey, cool, cool your jets. Like, you know, just make yourself do what you need to do to make yourself ready for that next step. But like it will come when it comes, trust me, there's a lot more happening around outside of you being ready. For that to happen than just that so just be in the right position 
um, for when that when the right time happens. Uh, but the other part is that outside of management, you know, his uh, I like when people come to me and they say, "Hey, I'm interested in being a manager." Uh, it's funny because most people, you know, they'll ask them a few questions and like, "Oh, okay, yeah, you should be a manager." But you know, what I do is like I'll sit down with them and I'll be like, "No, you don't want to be a manager," and I'll I'll spend like half an hour trying to convince them that it's that it's the most terrible thing that they can possibly do. Uh, and if they do come out of that and, and they're like, and they're like, no, yeah, I still do want to be a manager. I'm like, okay, yeah, so you sound like you want to be, that's good. And then, yeah, yeah. So you sound like that should be a right step. Uh, is, that, Paul is that was your always... parenting? Is that your parenting strategy too? <laughs> oh yeah, totally. Yeah, that's absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I, that's going to be interesting. No, absolutely. You should cross the road right now. It's red. Go. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, uh, so that's the funny thing is that the way Paul always said, he's like, he said, um, he was a big fan of individual contributors and, uh, he always said that, you know, management is a, uh, a death sentence. Uh, and I was like, Whoa, that's, you know, that's something that's a pretty heavy thing to say. Uh, but you know, he said, he explained it he said, you know, when, when you've been a manager for, you know, five, 10 years, that sort of thing, you get outside of the tech, you get removed from that and you just can't go back. So he's like, if, and if you're not really good at it, then you're dead in the water there. So, um, like you've got to make sure that's what you really want to do and you really want to, you know, focus on developing those skills. And so I was like, ah, oh, wow. Okay, cool. Um, and you know, so, but the other thing is that he was a big fan of not becoming a manager. Uh, so being an individual career for life and a lot of organizations aren't really set up for that. They've got these tiers and they accelerate people up it because they're really good. And then they get to the top and mm -hmm. then they're like, okay, well, I guess I should be a manager now. Cause you know, there's no other next step. And, you know, you and I, David, saw a lot of folks who, you know, were really good individual contributors who jumped up to that next step and just flopped because they just realized it wasn't for them. And, and you know, it was just, and they probably realized it before, it was just the logical thing to do, right? Yeah, that's the most common thing I do here. It's like, why why do you want to be? And, you know, once once you pull back, you know, all, all, the, all the fancy words and all the, saying all the right things, it's, well... I don't feel like my, my career right now as an individual contributor is going anywhere. This is the next logical step. And you're like, it's actually not. It's, um, yeah. I, I, I use a pretty extreme analogy. It's basically what you're saying is right now you're a cook and tomorrow you want to be a, a soccer player. You know, how are they related? You're like, they're not. I go, exactly. They're not, right? It, it, it's a totally different job. Yes, you got to be good at, you know, the IC side. But it's a totally different job, and and you know, seeing as a, another almost like a promotion, you know, a logical step up, it's not the right reason. Uh, fundamentally, you got to care about people. You got to care about other people more than yourself, and it, it's 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 really hard. It's really hard to actually yeah. derive success from a team of other people, and to actually change your own KPIs if you want to get very technical your success indicators in your own mind need to be changed. If these 10 people, 30 people, whatever your organization is, is successful, I'm successful. And you got to be oh, really okay not being in the spotlight anymore, right? And yeah, there's a lot yeah. of leaders out there who are not comfortable. You can tell. They're VPs, et cetera. You can tell they're so not comfortable, right? And they try to grab spotlight whenever that's possible. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very different skill set. And in fact, if you don't design your organization to uh, make sure that your individual contributors can keep developing, even when they get that last level and, you know, keep doing, you know, exciting things and learning, 
uh, you're going to get that. And the problem is that when you get that, then you know all your best individual contributors become managers, are terrible at it. So all your other good individual contributors leave. Your individual contributor is now a manager, so he's not or he or she is not contributing. Uh, and then eventually that person leaves because they're not happy with it. Nobody's happy with them. So like everybody loses in that situation. Yeah. And you know what Paul taught me was you know that uh, don't worry about that. Uh, you know and you know individual contributors. You know you hit the top. Don't worry about uh, your title. You know titles are made up things. They're just like you know you know you get the you know here you are a you know senior director and you know you get the you know like the knighting thing right. And you know you don't feel any different the next day. And in fact, the best people who get those jobs are the ones who have already been doing it anyways. So it really doesn't feel different because you're you're already kind of doing that anyways. Uh, so you know that's what I really enjoyed about Paul is like he's like who cares? You know, make sure that you've got you're building on your responsibility and your span of control. Uh, so you know, influencing people not only in your own organization but even outside your organization. Uh, instead of growing your team, creating an empire, you know, doing all these things that you know, people think as managers they should be doing to move on to the next level. And then make sure the people on your team are built so even if they're on the top, and I had a lot of folks on my team, in fact, at times, more than half the folks on my team were, were topped out on titles. So I had to keep doing things to help them develop and, you know, keep their jobs, you know, exciting and, uh, and that. Um, and that's a challenge. Uh, but, you know, luckily, we were well set up to do that. And a lot of organizations aren't. And, and then you get that problem, right? Yeah. Good. So th thank you for sharing that, Chris. I do want to transition and just talk a little bit about um, technology since, you know, you are, you know, you truly are an innovator, multiple patent holder. Um, I, I do want to get your points of view on a few things, but you know what? That, actually, I found something really funny in one of, one of our, uh, my pre-podcast uh, questions to you. I asked you what you doubled down on recently. You said staying away from social media, being a techie, being an innovator, being someone who helped a, a small company get their series B <laughs> funding. I found that pretty funny. Uh, talk about that. Staying away from social media. Right. Well, I, and by the way, I think this all comes from my, uh, so I was on like BBSs and things like that using dial-up modems like way, way back in the day. And yeah. so like I, I see, I've seen the worst of what like message boards can be. And then that was when they were small and not like the entire internet. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, I think we're seeing, so from, from that, you know, I've, I've seen what can happen. And so I've actually, funny enough, never been on Facebook and, you know, or, or really any social media aside from LinkedIn, uh, by the way, which is really difficult from a personal point of view, because people like, you know, would say, oh, hey, how come you didn't come to that event last weekend? And I'm like, what event? And they'd be like, oh, you didn't see it on Facebook. Oh, right. <laughs> and then so I'd have, I'd have like friends that would email me Facebook invitation stuff. So it was, it was not only annoying for me, it was annoying for them. Um, but yeah, just as privacy is now coming to the forefront, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent of, uh, of personal privacy. Um, you know, we're seeing some of the downside of that. And, uh, and also just from a psychological perspective, uh, you know, things like cyberbullying, uh, mm -hmm. self-esteem, because, you know, what you put on Instagram is not your, you know, here's what happen is happening every day. You're, you're putting your best self. So everybody else, you know, who's down here goes, oh, maybe I should be like that. And, but, you know, that's not the real person. That's, you know, that's you on TV, not you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have to say, um, at the start of the pandemic, that's when I I fully de deinvested in Facebook and Instagram. I said mm, no. Interesting yeah, time to do it. I, yeah, I just I said no. This is not for me. And a lot of it was it was, it just became like a dumpster fire, the whole place, right? And then you hear about all these scandals, uh, you know, 
with privacy and everything. And you're like, come on, folks, you, you got to figure this stuff out, right? Well, um, even professionally, I used to tell people, uh, hey, you know, the best way to get fired in five years is uh, start posting stuff on Twitter today because, you know, eventually you'll just say something that'll get taken the wrong way or, you know, or just be inappropriate appropriate at that time or slightly appropriate at that time that's inappropriate later. And, you know, it's, it's all on record, right? So, yep. Well, record. The next thing to teach our children, that's for sure. Um, and that's, I'm oh, teaching my, different world one of my teenagers right now. So, Man, okay. I grew up in the day without when everybody didn't have a camera in their pocket all the time. And I'm very, very happy about that. Yeah. Um, that's another podcast, by the way, raising children <laughs> in this age. Um, I, I do want to take that point of view you have on social media and privacy, but you know, that hasn't, where do you think that comes in when it comes to some of this emerging technology, generative AI, like that is probably some of the craziest stuff um, we're seeing. Like, I know it's easy to ignore. You just say, ignore it. It's going, this is probably the most disruptive I personally seen. Um, you know, I'm not that old, but I'm not that young either. It's most disruptive I've seen. Uh, in the last few decades, what 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 are you know what are your thoughts on that? How it's going to impact society, privacy, and all that stuff? Yeah, so um, so privacy is definitely one thing, and you know, aside from you know the the safety issues, privacy being one of them, uh, bias being another big one, because you know, you, with generative AI, you type in something like CEO, and then you get a bunch of pictures of of men and old men, and it's like, okay, well, that's that's very even the the AI is very biased. Uh, but, you know, also mis misinformation spread, uh, hallucinations, you know, it, it making these, making things up. Um, aside from that, I know you talked a lot about that with the boss. Uh, and there's also geopolitical issues as well that we'll, you know, put aside. Uh, and by the way, that, you know, I, I, to add to the conversation that you had with the boss, uh, if anybody's interested in reading about that, what a boss kind of touched on there, that, you know, innovation grows exponentially and governance grows linearly. And that gap is where the issue is. Uh, by the way, read, uh, there's this book called Exponential by Azim Azar. Uh, it's an excellent book about exactly that. Okay. Uh, but, you know, what I want to touch on is, is something that probably a lot of folks are, are thinking about right now, which is that, you know, AI is going to take our jobs. And, you know, funny enough, when, when AI came up and, you know, it was big in the, it's not new, it's, it's been around for a very long yeah. time, for decades, uh, everybody was worried about that because like, okay, you know, robots are going to take our jobs. Uh, but really the evidence, the evidence isn't there. It's you take a look at, for instance, when uh, ATMs came in and, you know, now people before people would line up at banks and they'd go and they'd have their paycheck that they get every week or two or however long it was. They would literally line up for an hour during lunchtime work, whatever, go and deposit their check and the teller would go do that for them. Uh, and then these ATMs came along in the, you know, like the 80s and uh, people worried that these tellers will will not have jobs anymore. Uh, but funny enough, you look at the data and actually the opposite happened. Tellers still had jobs and actually had, there were more tellers than there were before. Uh, so, so you kind of think like, oh, well, how could that possibly be? Now people don't have to go to them. They can deposit their checks and get money. They don't have to talk to them. But what happened to them is their jobs got focused on higher value activities. So now you go to a teller because like you need money exchanged. Oh, why do you need that exchanged? Oh, I need to do this. Oh, well, do you think about insurance? Because by the way, if you're going to the United States and you need American money, well, we sell insurance. Fantastic. Okay, yeah, that's a good idea. So they're, they become more um, advisors than, you know, just robotically, hey, here's your money. And uh, so and the th same thing is going to happen to people. So people worry about with generative AI, you know, it's going to replace me. It's going to like, I'm an artist, you know, people don't need artists anymore. 
but that's not really the case. And, you know, just the same way that, you know, calculators didn't replace people when they came out, uh, you know, people still, you know, people don't do things, write things out by hand. And the same thing with generative AIs, instead of an artist going and, you know, they'll make something, what they might do is they might go to generative AI and say, you know, hey, give me a hundred ideas and they'll go and they'll pick like three or four and then kind of riff on those and and then come up with something with that. So uh, I think for me, generative AI and how I use it in my life is, you know, to kind of take it as a first draft or something to get ideas uh, and then riff on that. Uh, and, you know, in the same way, it's funny enough, uh, you know, another example um, in the chess world, you, you know, we, we remember Deep Blue, you know, beat Kasparov oh. way back in the day. And, oh, yeah. Uh, so that was a big thing. Uh, funny enough, they actually have tournaments now where, you know, you can have, obviously there's humans versus humans uh, and computer versus humans, but there's also with like the hybrids. So you basically have a human that's aided by a computer. Mm-hmm. And funny enough, the human aided by the computer does way better than a human or does better than a computer on its own. Uh, so, and I think that's going to be the future is that AI is not going to replace your job, uh, but you will be replaced if you don't know how to use AI to help you. Yeah. It, it you know, throughout human history, it's, it's all about adapting, right? Uh, just think about even the bow and arrow. We, we, we take, you take a bow and arrow for granted, but imagine no one figured out how to put a string on, on a branch and stretch it and take, and, and take advantage of its elastic properties. So no, we're just going to keep throwing rocks, right? Oh no. Oh no. We're, we're going to be replaced. There's this bow and arrow, right? Um, no, of course not. Right. Um, humans always find a way to make things more complicated, but also find more ways to make things better at the same time. And yeah, uh, we're always disrupting, right? We're always disrupting ourselves, which is good. <laughs> uh, w- one more question just around your, your, your take on things. Uh, it, another interesting fact about, uh, about you, Chris, is that being a tech guy, you said you were an early follower of Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. but you didn't, put one, you didn't even put one penny into cryptocurrency. Talk about that. Like, why would a tech guy like yourself, an innovator like yourself, not touch cryptocurrency? Uh, yeah, so here's the interesting thing. So, uh, so I knew about cryptocurrency long, long, long ago, like we're talking over a decade ago. Uh, in fact, this thing, I can't remember exactly what happened, but there's this thing that happened called, uh, it's the Mt. Gox incident. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was reading about this Bitcoin thing and it was super cool. And I was like, I was trying to figure out how I can get this Bitcoin. And I'm like, oh, I can go to exchange and get it. Uh, and then this, and you know, I was about to buy it. And then this uh, Japanese uh, exchange called Mt. Gox got hacked and all the people who had their money in it, all the money was gone. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, so I looked at that and I was like, oh crap. Okay, well, this isn't like a bank where you can like, you put your money in there and if it's all gone, well, you know, deposit insurance, you know, kind of helps you out. And we've seen some of that lately, mm-hmm. uh, helping some people out. This is very different. And so I was like, oh, geez, all right. Uh, by the way, that was when Bitcoin was, I think it was like $20 a bit, US dollars in Bitcoin. Uh, so yeah, now being over $30,000, I would have made a fair bit of money. You would, you would be, you'd see like a you know nice beach behind me instead of just a, a wall here. I think there's a beach <laughs> so, right behind that wall. I, I wish, yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> Somewhere behind there, yeah. A long way. Uh, so, but yeah, funny enough, I, it's for me, it's like to be, you know, so I don't see... I don't really see it as an investment necessarily. I see it more of a, a speculative sort of thing. Again, being an investor, investing in uh, stocks and things like that, most of mine are which are very, very boring. Um, because because I knew the risks and all the risks involved, not just with the exchange, but you know, 
again, same thing with cryptocurrencies. If you have it on exchange, then it could be gone. Um, if you have it on a, there's this guy in, who had it on his hard drive and he had the you know the digital key and he accidentally threw out the hard drive and he's in the UK. And <laughs> now he's actually, he's spending millions of dollars going to get it because he figured out there's like 40 million pounds of, hmm. uh, uh, of money on in Bitcoin on that thing, which he knows is in this, you know, huge dump. And it actually, at that point is worth actually going to check it out and, you know, find it. Uh, they won't let him, but anyways, that's a whole different story. But the problem is that, you know, when you know all the risks involved, uh, unfortunately for me, that made it much more difficult for me to pull the trigger on it. <clears throat> Sometimes when you understand the game more, the less you want to play in the game. And uh, I have some friends who are, you know, accountants and auditors and, you know, like the audit, like legit companies, obviously, but they see the risks and the, the band-aids in a lot of companies that are holding it together. And it's like, yeah, so what do you think about, you know, you name the spec speculative stocks even, or these high flying stocks are like, nope, don't touch it. Don't touch it. You know, ignorance it, is bliss, right? Yeah. They're, they're <laughs> like, don't touch it. I, I, I'm too close to the sun. I've seen what happens in these companies. Right. So, yep. so I do want to uh, start wrapping up Chris. And if you were 20 year old, 20, if, if you were 20 years old again, what would you like to know from your current self? Oh man, that would be awesome. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I, I, first off, I, I tell myself that, you know, that the career that you're going to have is not how you pictured it. And uh, it's, so for me, and going back to the, you know, it's, it's very much like a journey and, you know, you just kind of go where you go and it's, you know, and it's okay. Uh, because at first, you know, that really, I was just so focused on the next step that, you know, that I didn't think about that. And, you know, really for me, it's, and it goes back to what I was saying earlier, uh, I'm just telling my 20 year old self, just, just prepare yourself for, you know, where you think you want to go, learn a lot, make sure that when that opportunity comes that you're there and you're prepared for it. Uh, because, you know, that's where a lot of my, the things in my career happened. A lot of it was very serendipitously. So, you know, for instance, the, you know, the book that we were talking about earlier, uh, it just happened to be that, you know, we acquired this company at Salesforce called Heroku. And uh, I just happened to be a developer who loved to go deep on it. And then it just so happened, I told somebody in Heroku that I was going to start to write a book about it because I got sent to, you know, be the expert in Heroku. And it just so happened that that person got a call from, you know, the number one tech publisher saying, hey, does anybody want to write a book? And he happened to be my co-author on the book as well. So uh, again, all those things, it's just, you know, everything you do uh, is going to lead up to something. Uh, so just make sure that you're prepared and good things will happen. Be prepared and good things will happen. Great advice. Thank so you. just wrapping up now, uh, this is how I end every podcast with every guest. What question do you have for me? Oh, man. Um What's the best piece of advice that you think you gave me? Ooh. And you can't use the one I already told you. So that's, you're really gonna have to dig here. Yeah. I, you're going to make me dig in this one. <laughs> best piece of advice I've given you. I've probably given you so much that you've, you filter out. Most you really of have. It, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna have to validate this against you. 
Chris, I'm going to say you, you really got me on this one. Usually not short of words. I don't know. It's very unlike you, David. I know. It's very unlike me, right? I have all these like really funny things that I shouldn't say on camera here, right, that come to mind. But <laughs> if I was able to stump you, that, that just makes my day. You, you did stump me. Um, I'd have to think about that. I'd have to think about that. I'd have to think about that. I guess, let me throw it back to you. Besides that other, that one incident, what, what other advice did I give you? The the good advice, obviously, right? Any good advice I've given you? (laughs) Well, to become a manager, you know, I I went to you with that. And like, like, Hey David, you, you've been doing this management thing. What it's like, what's it like? And it's like, it's good for me, but may not be for you. <laughs> it's like, you got to figure that out. Um, okay. <laughs> you know, you know, the, the funny thing, Chris, is uh, sometimes I, I've, you're not the first person to say, oh yeah, you told me this, Dave. I'm like, oh, I said that? I I actually that said that. It doesn't sound like me. It doesn't <laughs> sound like me. And I probably had an outer body experience experience when I said it, but, um, but it's, uh, you know, like what you said there, like I, you know, I, I probably said that, you know, you got to go figure it out. But at this end of the day, like uh, what I would say to someone is it's got to, it's, it's not about you. If you want to be a manager, you want to be a leader, it's, you can't be about you anymore. Right. How do you feel about that? And, and you, and don't answer me right now, go home and think about it. Take a day or two, think about like all the accolades you've gotten in your career so far. Imagine all that goes away. And all you see are the people below you, your, your team, getting all the accolades. How's that going to make you feel, honestly? And are you going to feel the urge to grab some of that back? And, yeah. and if it's the latter, you know that, yeah, yeah, don't do it. That was, that was a tough thing for me as well. It's, you know, it was exactly that. And, uh, but, you know, I, I'm a big fan of servant leadership. And, uh, and it absolutely, you know, was super fulfilling. Uh, in, in doing exactly that, stepping away from the spotlight and putting other people in the spotlight. It's, you know, it's like, like being Dr. Dre, right? You put out this awesome album and it's, it's number one and you just, you know, step away and, Hey, I'm not making the tunes myself, but I'm producing some amazing stuff. And, you know, it's, it's really fulfilling. Yeah. And he's the, one of the most respected producers and DJs out there right now because of that. Right. And, and, uh, that's what I want to be the Dr. Dre. Not as cool, obviously, but, uh, (laughs) Well, on that note, you know, praise uh, Dr. Dre right there, my friend. Maybe I'll end this. uh, No, you know what? The copyright probably won't let me do that. So, uh, (laughs) well, look, Chris, it's a great time with you. 50 minutes. I've kept this under an hour. Wow. It's been that long. It just flew by. We could keep going. I could keep going with you. Um, You're you're a fascinating individual. Um, You know, I think I've only touched on, uh, you know, small percentage of the things in your mind and your, your opinions, as well as your knowledge of uh, the technology world and the innovation going on. Um, but also you, you've had an interesting career, you know, uh, think, your, yeah. your nonlinear path and some of the things you've done and look, I, I wish you the best of luck in what you're doing next and uh, stay in touch, buddy. Much appreciated. Definitely will. And uh, thank you very much for having me on. Really appreciate it, David. It was, uh, it was lots of fun. Yeah, it's my pleasure. All right. I'm going to sign off, folks.